The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Jack Berzini. Hi, Jack. Hey, Dom. And to my left is Pat Scott. Hi, Pat. Literally to your left. (laughs) Literally to my left. (laughs) Howdy. (laughs) Physically present in the studio with me today is Pat. She's come to visit her grandkids and her daughter and son-in-law, myself. Uh, So uh, it just so happened that you are scheduled to be on uh, while you're visiting. So that's very nice to... I, I always, of course, I do raising the bets with Melanie beside me, but uh, so it's not like it's unusual for me to have someone next to me. But uh, it is unusual to have like people both virtually, like Jack, and uh, present physically, uh, like you, Pat. So that's kind of fun. Uh, all right, before we get into today's topics, I want to tell you about another show on the network that you are sure to enjoy: The Secrets of Star Trek, where you which you can find at sqpn.com/trek or wherever fine podcasts are found. Uh, so if you're listening to this uh, the day after we record it, so if you're listening to this on, say, Thursday, uh, May 12th, you will have probably have heard that Google had its I.O. conference and had announced some things like that. We're going to talk about all that next week. Uh, we want to have some time to to find out about the stuff, think about it and not jump into it too quickly. And frankly, I just didn't have time to prepare uh, <laughs> a lot of stuff on that this week, but uh, we'll, we'll definitely talk about whatever announcements there were next time. And the, the, there was some interesting stuff. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into that this time. We're talking about the perennial topic. The thing that we've been dealing with as long as we've been online. Uh, I think the day after this, uh, they turned on the internet some guy thought, hey, maybe I could get someone to buy something from me if I if I throw a lot of emails at him. Yes, I'm talking about spam. Uh, and according to this article uh, on Axios, Americans are drowning in spam, which if you are an American or any other person, for, for that matter, from any country, you probably just went, duh. So uh, we are getting spammed in, in email in texts, in phone calls. Uh, we've been dealing with email spam for ages, but texts and phone call spams, robocalls is another way we, we talk about it, have just become a scourge right now. Uh, so here's some uh, numbers. There were more spam calls last month than in any of the previous six months. Uh, spam emails rose by 30% from 2020 to 2021. You would think that would be impossible for there to be even more spam emails. Nope. The average American received roughly 42 spam texts just in the month of March. The And frankly, I'm pushing the... That per day. That, that's low. Yeah, that's low for, for some of us, um, which is how averages work, I know. Uh, there was an unprecedented increase in social media scams last year, according to the Federal Trade Commission. So spam, scams, all that stuff is just uh, still out of control. And so we're going to talk about ways to deal with it. And I think the first place to start is, is we always, a lot of times you talk, you hear people talk about how do I stop spam? And the sad truth is, is you really can't. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, am I wrong? Is, is, is there? 
you can mitigate, not stop. Yeah. If you if you kill all your email accounts, stop using text. You know, you might get so close to stopping spam, but it's not because they're not sending. It's just you're not there to get it. Yes, exactly. You have to put up the walls. Uh, So the the best we can do is come up with strategies to to mitigate it. But even more is we're going to talk even more about what not to do. The do's and don'ts. Dangers. Because spam is inevitable. You're going to get junk mail, junk text, junk calls. So how do you deal with it? How do you avoid it becoming going from nuisance to a real problem, uh, you know, getting scammed by them? Um, And so let's take them one by one. Let's let's talk about the oldest one in the book, which is email. How do you deal with email spam, Jack? Like, what do you what is your strategy for that? Which it's probably close to mine. Um, well, the first thing I do is I have a throwaway email account that mm-hmm. I use to sign up for services that I'm interested in using, but that I do not need tied to my main email. Uh-huh. And so that way, when that email address inevitably gets put on one of those lists, it's not a big deal because it's not tied back to my direct email. Um, another thing I do, which I really am like about uh, iCloud is they have this new thing called uh, the iCloud email relay. So whenever yes. I sign up for something, with my main email address, like something I actually want to use permanently or that I need tied to my main account, I use uh, that. So it basically gives a spoof address that will, um, it'll like send it to that address and then it relays it to my address, but the service never gets my actual email address. And when you want to cut ties, you just, you just discard that email account. Right, exactly. Yeah. And that's those are the two main things. Uh, other than that, I never click on any links in any email I get. Even if I know it's legitimate, I always copy the link and inspect it before I even click on it to make sure that it's safe and right things like that. How about you, Pat? What do you? What is your spam strategy? My biggest thing that I recommend and do myself is use a service that does good spam filtering. And the two that are best in my book are Gmail and uh, Outlook, um, Microsoft's mail. Uh, Very little gets through there. It all goes into the spam folder. Maybe one or two a month do I Mm -hmm. actually get into my inbox. Right. Because their their filters are just so good. And so that's the the first thing I usually recommend. People who have like a a Cox or a Spectrum or or Yahoo or or, any of those, they get tons of it. And those services don't filter it worth beans. Mm-hmm. And if they do filter it, then the people never get their real email because it's getting trapped up in filters on the server. And so they never even know that they missed something. Yeah. So that's the biggest thing. And uh, yeah, uh, Google has a way to that you can use to sign up for a, a slightly different variation of the email that you can then kick off and, and, and stop getting that after your cruise is over or after you've no longer wanted to be a part of a particular organization, you can just mm-hmm. shut that email off. Right. There's a thing we can do with Gmail accounts where you can type, you, you, if you say, you say your email address is dom at gmail.com. That's not my email address, but to say that was my email address. If I put dom plus sign and anything, anything at all, it all that's still Dom it, it, Gmail uh, treats it like Dom at gmail.com. And so it's a nice way to to you could give out like Dom and, you know, uh, new service at gmail.com and give that to new service when you sign up there. And then when you 
one, if you start seeing that email associated with other things, you know, they sold it, you know, that they sold it or yeah. Mm-hmm. So and you, bad, 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 bad. But then you can also, uh, can you, you could filter that. So you could put a filter in Gmail and say anything that goes to this address, yeah. send it, send it as a spam. Yeah. So that, that's nice. Gmail spam filters are pretty darn good. That's, that's say 90% of my spam strategy is, Gmail spam filters. I do go through the spam folder maybe once. Probably I should do it probably more often than I do, but maybe once a month. I, there is stuff that I do want that gets caught in in there. Right. I, I stop getting certain things, especially newsletters, e- email newsletters. Uh, those are especially susceptible. Uh, so stuff does end up getting in there. So that's yeah, there's more false positives, but the the real spam typically doesn't hit my inbox more right. than one or two mm-hmm. a month. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, so so that that's probably ninety percent of my strategy. You, Jack, you, the point about never clicking on a link in an email, like if like even if I get emails from my bank, quote unquote, that look legit, right. I still don't click on the on the link. Just I'm I'm so paranoid about about links because what happens is, in case you don't know. It, it couldn't look like a legit link. It could even like spell out um, HTTPS colon slash slash www.bankofamerica.com. But that's what it's showing you. What you click on could be something completely different. The actual address it goes to. And then it mm-hmm. will and it can look really much like your like Bank of America or whatever your bank is. So you uh, what you should do is if your bank says, hey, you know, there's a thing, you know, at on your account. Open up your web browser, type in the address or, you know, use your bookmark or whatever, but don't ever click on a link in an email like that, because especially to something important like a financial related thing or health yeah. or anything like that, just don't do it. Um, avoid giving out you know, personal information, even if it seems innocuous, like who's your first grade teacher? That's This is more like password related stuff, but sometimes you'll get emails that ask you things or, you know, challenge you to this is a way of getting enough information to, to get your passwords. That's, that's more password security, I guess. Um, so definitely don't, uh, don't give out that information. I'm trying to think of some other, one of the things that the, the latest version of um, Mac OS does the Monterey, the email app has a thing where it will um, prevent images from loading when you first open up an email. And, uh, uh, and then it puts a button up that says load content directly so that because one of the things that spammers like to do is they like to see if someone is at the other end of this. They send out millions of emails at a time to a million email addresses. The ones that have a live person at the other end opening up, those are worth more. And if they know you're there, they'll they'll start sending lots and lots of emails to you. And right. one of the one of the ways they know that you've opened up an email is they they put images in it that when the email is opened, it loads the image from their server and it's tied to your particular email address through certain coding ways. And so then now they know you're, you open up the email. So this prevents mm-hmm. that it, it opens up, it puts little placeholders for where the images should go. And if you go, Oh, this is an email I want the images for you click load content and it will load the images for you. Right. Yeah, Outlook does something similar in a sense that unless you have marked it when you open it to say always open from the sender, it will hide the images and uh, and there's there's several other services that do the same thing and I recommend that for for my clients. You right. know, just mm-hmm. don't see the images unless you have said, "Oh yes, I trust this one." Right. So. Um, 
There's another thing that is good to use. Uh, this is also for uh, just keeping your password safe, but it's called uh, Have I Been a Pwned.com, which is P W N E D. Um, and it, if you put in an email address there, it will show you all the different services that have had data leaks that, it, that you have an account on and let you know whether or not they have been breached. And that's good to tell you if you need to have your password changed, but also just if your email address has been leaked out on one of those leaks and just to keep an eye out for those different kinds of spam. Right. Yeah. And Google has just uh, implemented a thing where they're notifying people that their address has been found on the Internet. And that's a mixed blessing because now I have people that are misunderstanding what it told them and think that they have to change X, Y, and Z passwords when all they're saying is that we found this email address out there on the web and this particular website was breached. But it doesn't mean you have to change all of them just because that email address was found out there. And even if your email address was was breached, it doesn't necessarily mean that your password was breached either. Right. And and you could have changed your password five times since that breach occurred. And now they're just now telling people about it. So it's Mm -hmm. it's confusing there too. Yeah. It's only an issue if you make your password the same on every single website, which a lot of people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I tell people not to, but they still do. And this is why why one of my mantras is use one password or a password manager like that so that you have a different password everywhere. It makes it easy. Yeah, I do have a situation where I've got a lot of people in their 80s and 90s. Yeah. And quite frankly, a password manager is more than they can handle. Sure. But I even at that, I give them some techniques for making sure that their passwords are unique for different websites, you know, using some type of an algorithm or a patterning that they can, because they just can't deal with a password Mm -hmm. manager. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's actually a good thing is help help your your parents. You know, the elderly people in your life, the people who are not tech savvy, make sure that they're aware of this stuff. Like you're listening to a podcast about technology. You're halfway to there. But for the, there's a lot of people who won't be doing this in, in, in who are in your life. You need to help them figure this mm-hmm. stuff out, too. Uh, one other thing is don't ever reply to spam. Don't don't with, you know, click here to unsubscribe or just reply to unsubscribe from this. Don't don't ever do it. <laughs> That, again, is telling them that there's a live person on the other end. Yeah, and I have family members that reply to harass the spammers, you know, on text especially. Or people who will uh, start saying stop, stop, stop. And it doesn't stop them. It just, it continues on. Now they got the, they know they've got a live phone number that they've got, that they can pay, sell sell for more money. Right. 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 It's not like the old days where it was one person calling you and you could actually keep them online just to mess with them. It's they're sending out like hundreds of thousands of messages. Right. Right. So let's, let's move from email to text and talk about text and, you know, SMS and text, that sort of thing, that kind of spam. There are two kinds of messages you can get on your phone, on your phone via text, your SMS. There's ones that have a phone number attached to them or a short code. So like Mm -hmm. either four numbers or the whole regular phone number, but then there's ones that come from email accounts. The ones that have numbers, phone numbers or or short codes are easier to block, but the but email accounts are coming through what's called an SMS to email gateway at the carrier. And though the carrier will tell you we can't block that. We mm-hmm. can't we can't you know block those messages. So what you have to do is uh, this is what I had to do with AT&T is I had to call and it was not easy. I've talked about it before on the on the show is there's a particular number you call that you tell them 
over and over again. I need you to disable the email to text gateway for my number. That's all because mm-hmm. you don't want people emailing. So what it is is someone's sending an email to your number at Verizon.net or AT&T.com or whatever the, the, the particular thing is that you have an email address associated with your phone number. And so they're, e- they're emailing spam at it. So if you turn off that gateway, that turns off that email address associated with your phone number, not your email address, but this random thing that, that AT&T or Verizon has set up to connect, then that will stop most of it. The funny thing is I've actually started getting some of these again, and I'm not sure if the, if the gateway is off, why they're coming through. I think they might've turned it back on. I have to give them another call. Well, I had a situation where I had a family member that used to have an Android went to a, an iPhone and uh, somewhere in there, when a text message got replied to, instead of using the, just the phone number as an SMS, now it, it tried to pick up something else. And so that got put in an address book. And so every time that person was involved in a family text, they were getting it through an email gateway. Well, yeah, that's mm. a little different. But yeah, that, yeah, they... You can have in iMessage, you can have an email address associated as the primary instead of your phone number. Uh, and that becomes a problem when because again, people who are sending via Android text messages cannot send to iMessage mm-hmm. email accounts. It's a mess. It's a real mess. I will say also, um, I switched from Android to iPhone earlier this year using the same uh, cell service still. And Although I prefer iPhone for most things, the spam filtering both for texts and calls on Android is much, much better. Yeah, they, because it's it's op- it, there's more opportunity for third parties to get in there. Apple has to do a better job of opening up the, the APIs, the programming interface, to allow third parties to build better uh, filtering software. Because you're right, it, it is like Malware Bytes is, is a, an app that for Android and for iOS that does claim to block spam text except on the iphone i can it it doesn't appear to do anything yeah for it at all at least in, in my case well it, it at&t and several other the others also have their own call protect etc mm-hmm. and that gets maybe 30 percent of my spams uh show up as is uh right. spam calls or spam texts but not very much many and so it's still very imperfect here's some do's and don'ts i'll have links to these uh articles that i'm uh referring to but some do's and don'ts this is from norton on uh dealing with spam texts. Uh, So they say, don't reply directly to any spam text message. Uh, Don't click any links in the text message. Uh, And the usual precaution of, if it sounds too good to be true, it is, you did not, you have not won a special prize. You are not being given money by Bill Gates. Apple is not giving you a free iMac. Or if it attempts to scare you into something. Right. Urgency. Your, Your nephew has not been abducted or, put in jail or whatever that has not happened. Um, they say to review, review your cell phone bill regularly and see if there's any unusual uh, charges. Um, the, you can, they, they talk about blocking um, numbers, but frankly, that's not a very effective technique, but mostly because they really come from the same number over and over again. I mean, you, if you, if you do see the same origin number, phone number, go ahead and block it. I wouldn't put a lot of stock in that. I wouldn't t- spend a lot of time blocking every single phone number, but you can. 
Um, similarly, they say to put your cell phone number on the National Do Not Call Registry. That only works for companies that are legit, not fly-by-night overseas spam factories who it's don't useless. care. Yeah. <laughs> uh, your uh, carrier might have a cell blo- a call blocking service, uh, but you there are also third party apps like Nomo Robo, Haya, Robo Killer. Um, what I had another one. I think uh, what's the other one I had? Uh, yeah, Robo Killer, Nomo Romo, um, and they had a couple others on there that I hadn't heard of. U Mail, True Caller, and Trap Call. They uh, they all have. Varying levels of ability. I've heard lots of good things about Nomo Romo and Robo Killer. All of the carriers have their own apps mm-hmm. that allow you to report and or block. One thing you can do, I didn't mention with the spam text, is you can forward you can forward spam text to your provider's spam abuse number, which is always seven seven two six. That spells out spam on the keypad. And if you forward a text to them. They'll say, okay, thanks. Now, what's the number it came from? And then you copy and paste in the number as a reply. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know how effective that is. I don't know if it does anything. I do it. It makes me feel a little better. Yeah, I kind of do it because I figure yeah. if that'll that'll cut down maybe on some of the spam. Yeah. And I've also just put that, that number into my address book so I can just type SP and it fills it in for me so right. I don't have to remember the number. Right. I think it suffers from the same problem that just blocking the number does where they're not going to use the same number more than once. So you'll block that specific number, but it's not doing a lot. Another thing to be aware of is when you're looking at those spam blocking apps is to make sure that it's actually a legit app and not a sketchy app that's just trying to get information. Because there's lots of apps out there that claim to be for blocking spam or blocking robocalls that are kind of sketchy. So make sure you're using something legit. Right. Go with a name brand like Nomo Romo or Robo Killer or Haya H I Y A. Those are mm-hmm. all name brand apps. Or your your the the the, uh, the carrier apps like AT and T and Verizon and T Mobile. Those actually are usually uh, uh, blank label uh, versions of these same apps. Like I think AT and T is just put their logo on top of Haya the H I H I Y A app. So. So yeah, stick with the the, the big well known ones. Um, yeah, then there's uh the FCC has the Federal Communications Commission has a web page with some advice. One of the things I think is that we all do this now with with robocalls. I don't answer the phone. Like if if it's a unknown number, it goes to voicemail. Yeah, I mean, I just I, I in fact actually that's one good tip on the iPhone. There is a setting that you might not know of call for silence, unknown callers. And let me, I'm trying to bring up the settings app. So you have settings phone and then scroll down to silence, unknown callers on or off. And I have that on by default so that if I get a call, that's not from a number that doesn't have, it has no caller ID. It's either not on my contact, uh, my, you know, my address book, or if it doesn't send a caller ID name, I think it's even if it's just, if it's not in my contacts, uh, book. Yeah, it's just not a, if it's not in contact. Yeah, it won't even ring the phone. It'll just show up as a you know, and, and it'll say it'll it'll record it and say, hey, you had a call at this time, and you know, and if they leave a voicemail, it'll I'll see if there's a voicemail there, but it won't ring the phone or anything. The downside is is if I'm expecting a call from somebody like a doctor's office or a contractor or somebody who I don't have their number already, I have to turn it off while I'm waiting for their call. You know, it's 
Or keep your phone right in front of you yeah. so that you can see it coming yeah. in. If I'm waiting for a call, I have to. Yeah, you have to do that. But but most of the time, it's it's great because my phone just doesn't ring. Um, if the caller ID shows a local number, like you say, your um, your area code and local exchange are nine seven eight three four three. If you see calls coming from nine seven eight three four three, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a local number. They're they're what they're doing is is they're calling all the numbers in that exchange from a yeah. spoofed number from within that exchange to make it seem like it's your neighbor. It's not. <laughs> yeah, and actually, there's a case there where you don't necessarily want to block it because it is a spoofed number, and that could be a legitimate number. And I've had people that yep. they had that happen that they they really blocked their friend because they they didn't write in their address book and then they blocked that that fake number right right i was going to say uh, for me uh when i get calls from my area code and local registry number i know it's fake because my area code is from a completely different place that i don't even live anymore <laughs> <laughs> right right well that's the yeah my my phone number dates back over 20 years my cell phone and it's for a the other side of the state for me. So mm -hmm. it's like, uh, yeah. yeah. In fact, sometimes I get wrong numbers and uh, they're usually in Spanish. It's a heavily Hispanic uh, population in that town. Uh, so it's like, I, I know this isn't for me. <laughs> I don't speak Spanish. So uh, no hablo espanol. And uh, so, that, but yeah, it's either a wrong number or just totally, you know, a scam. So I don't, I don't even bother answering those calls anymore. Yeah, in fact, actually, there's a lot of times where I find that if even if it's if it's a uh, a, a number that I think might be possible, if I let it leave a message, there's a lot of times people will ring accidentally because they looked up my number. They didn't mean to hit me. So if they don't leave a message, I don't call back right. because I just figure it was an accidental call or a, a spoofed call. So the uh, there has been some efforts by the the FCC to work with carriers to cut down on spoof, you know, robocalls and, and spam texts. Uh, they have this new stir shaken protocol that they're doing. Nothing has been all that effective. They, they claim, you know, they, they claim things are better and then the spammers figure it a way around it and they get, they do the next thing. So it's, we're really on our own to, to really at this point, hopefully something better will come along and the technology will improve to, to fix this. But until then um, we just got to come up with these different strategies uh, th there's another article I'll put in the phone in the uh, in the sh show notes from Consumer Reports on the best way to block robocalls. Uh, just to it, it goes over a lot of this uh, similar things that we talked about. Uh, but uh, there's a few uh, other things in there that might be worthwhile for you to look at. Um, I did put out a call into our uh, StarQuest Discord community, our online uh, community of listeners, and uh, for their suggestions. And I got some some people suggested that uh, Fair e the app Fair Email for Android is a privacy focused email app that will help with uh, blocking, uh, preventing you from being tracked and or preventing uh, uh, spam from getting information about you. Uh, someone else suggested the Unroll.me service. Uh, but I, I don't I, I should have looked it up because I thought there was a service that was supposed to um, unsubscribe you from a bunch mailing of lists. Yeah, mailing lists and stuff like that, like old subscriptions to old mailing lists that you don't want anymore. Um, but but I think it was unrolled me now that I think about it, that would turned out that they were actually working selling information. So let me just uh, quickly Google that. 
Um, I think that's right. Um, it was either like unsubscribe.me or unenroll.me. I feel like was one of the ones that got busted with yeah, selling your really data. Gathering, so, yeah. Which, yeah, that's what I now I quickly Google it. Unroll me is selling your information here. Uh, they, so there's an alternative the, that they suggest. And they may have gotten better since this because this was, you know, five years ago when it started. But um, duh, 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 yeah. Well, uh, in any case, uh, I'll I'll see if I can get a, a link in the show notes to, to uh, see if there's any alternatives to that. But they what they purported to do was to unsubscribe you from uh, mailing lists. But it turns out that they were collecting information on you because they in order to do this, they had to be in your your uh, email account. And so they saw all your email and were collecting data on all your email. They're doing. Yeah, it was yeah, a really evil. nasty thing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's. I mean, I feel bad because I feel like I wish we could have come up with some ironclad way to put up uh, walls and a moat around your phone and your in your computer to protect your email and text. And, Don't use them. That yeah. work. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but there isn't there isn't a ironclad way to protect ourselves from this stuff yet. And it's that's one of this is one of the the failings of technology today is that it can't stop this stuff yet. And hopefully we'll get there that there'll be ways, uh, some clever folks out there to come up some ways to stop the clever folks who are trying to spam us. Well, and there is one other form of spam too, as I was thinking through this uh-huh. uh, on Facebook, there in, in groups and stuff, there's a lot of spam that occurs in legitimate groups that yeah. people will sign up to a group and then start spamming the groups. And so people, you know, t- it takes a while for people to realize this was not a legitimate post by some, right. some group member that had a interest in this topic. It's spam. And so again, you can market to Facebook as spam. Yeah. And you could block. That's the nice thing is, is you can mm-hmm. you know, on Facebook and Twitter, you can block someone and never see anything they post again uh, until they go start a new account. But you know, you can block that account. And so that's worthwhile to do. Yeah. I, I was in a, a, a boy Scouts group and someone just started spamming this stuff from in another language, like in another alphabet, like from, from on the other side of the planet. And I'm not sure why. And What's what's frustrating is when the admins don't do anything about it. <laughs> yeah, like, I, yeah, I'm in some groups that are pretty active admins, and that helps. Good. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you go to the grocery store and there's spam on the shelf. You just can't avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> I just cook it. That's right. Um, excellent. So if you if you uh, have any questions about spam and dealing with spam, if you have suggestions for ways to deal with spam that we haven't talked about, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at technology at sqpn.com or head over to our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. We'd love to have you join us over there. This, we have some great conversations on a lot of fun and people ask questions and we do our best to, to answer them as well. All right, before we move on, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Philip M., Rebecca C., Alphonse F., Donald F., and Tom E. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Well, folks, it is time to pour one out. Yes, the, uh, it is a, 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 it's not a really a red letter day, but it's a sad day in technology because uh, a, a milestone event has happened. I, I'll stop prevaricating and just get to the point. Apple has announced that the last iPod for sale is 
being end of life, it will only sell them while supplies last. They're making no more. It, it, if, if you want to know the last iPods available right now are iPod touches. It's been 20 years of iPods. Yeah. Amazing. So a lot of history. Jack, tell me about your, your iPod interests. You have, you have actually an interesting iPod uh, passion. Yeah, I do. So I was about to say, uh, what am I going to do if I can't get any more iPods? Uh, <laughs> As he holds up a handful, literal handful of iPods. <laughs> um, I've really enjoyed actually getting into, uh, it's not that even the iPod Touch, it's the older ClickWheel iPods because they're so user serviceable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really easy, especially the fifth generation video iPod, which came out in 2005. You can open those things up. You put in a flash drive instead of a hard drive, put a new battery in, and they're good to go. Um, so it's been fun to be able to modify those. And you can still pick those up online for decent prices, although since the modding community has kind of gotten into that, the prices have gone up. Um, but, yeah, it is, it is a interesting day to see because the iPod was really where I first got into technology in the first place, and that was mostly because – I needed to find ways to acquire music as a uh, poor teenager. Uh, so I had to find ways to find music in certain ways. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's it, creatively, it creatively. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense uh, that they've discontinued it because the iPhone does everything that it does at this point, but it is, it is uh, the end of an era. I'm kind of, it's, it's kind of interesting because the, who was the iPod touch for these days? I mean, it was really, anyone who didn't want a phone, but wanted what an iPhone could do, they just didn't want the phone part. So I'm going to guess there's a lot of like vertical markets, like retail and other places like that. Schools, maybe, uh, maybe a few parents who didn't, who wanted to give something to their kids, but didn't want to give them a full on phone, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Although it was kind of expensive for that. What I was doing was recycling old yeah. phones and just not putting phone service in them. Uh, right. Which is probably. And that's what I recommended to clients. He yeah. said, well, you know, I would like to get an iPod. And I said, don't just, you know, take your existing phone when you get a new one, hand it down and yeah. just don't put service on it. And they can do Wi-Fi and do everything that the iPod touch can yep. do. But yeah. as as far as iPods go, like for me, my iPod days go all the way back to the original iPod, the Firewire, five gigabyte, thousand songs in your pocket iPod, which I, when they came out with that, I so wanted one. I saved my pennies, lots and <laughs> lots and lots of pennies. That was, those were really expensive at the time. And I mean, it was awesome because, because what I had before that, I had a Diamond Rio MP3 player, oh, yeah. which I won. Oh, nice. I won in an online contest. It was wild. Um, and that could hold like, a card with maybe like an album's worth, like literally like 16 songs. And then an iPod comes out. It's a thousand songs. It seemed like so much music. Who could ever listen to all that music? And, uh, and over the years I've had all different kinds of, I had the, I've had shuffles. I've had, uh, the video iPod fifth gen, the iPod minis, the click wheel, the click wheel ones, the, the touchpad ones. Um, they were, I mean, I've had them, on my commute, they were my podcast listening device, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, or uh, walking. I mean, they've really the and the and as far as as a cultural thing or a technology thing, iPod was there at that really launched Apple to be the company that could make the iPhone. And I mean, the iMac, the original iMac was kind of saved Apple, but it's the iPod that really launched Apple to become the company that could be the iPhone company. Well, and and their their iconic white uh, the white earbuds earbuds with a little cord down to the iPod. I mean, mm-hmm. that was just iconic. Yeah, and yeah, they went from being a computer company to being a consumer electronics company when they came out the iPod. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's fantastic, and and you know, it's 
it really deserves a place in history, not just technology history, but just history in general, because it of uh, the way it's changed everything. I mean, again, it is it was the iPod Touch was the iPhone before the iPhone, and mm-hmm. uh, it really is the root of so much that's changed for good and for ill, I guess. But but it is really amazing. So uh, there's Apple says the music lives on, but the iPod does not. Except in Jack's shelf. <laughs> we can find all we want to there. Yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, hey, can right. I send you one to repair? <laughs> yeah. You actually could, yeah. <laughs> I so, have a, a a young man who's in his late 20s that is uh, a little challenged, and he has always had iPods, and uh, he had two because at some point one would not hold all the songs he had, so he went to a second one. And, uh, and this is going to be very sad news to him because he's been buying old ones and getting somebody to put another hard drive in them, and that person's no longer around. So, mm. oh wow, yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe yeah, I might hook you up. Hook you up. So let's uh, another one of our headlines today. Uh, this is an interesting one that Pat you showed me today is. Uh, the Vatican is opening its own VR gallery. The headline says to democratize art. I'm not sure what that means, but um, it, it, it's full of buzzwords, this, art, this article. But I like what's going on behind the scenes here. So the Vatican Museum, which is one of the world's leading museums, just whether you're Catholic or not, it's, it is it, uh, the fact is it's one of the most amazing art collections in the world, is teaming up with a company called Sensorium Corporation, which is a quote-unquote metaverse developer, um, to <laughs> launch an official NFT gallery. I, I don't know why it's an NFT gallery. It's, a, it's virtual art. Like it's taking the artwork that's in the Vatican Museums and making 3D virtual representations of them. But you can then, if you have a VR headset or even just a desktop computer, you can visit the galleries and see them. So you don't have to travel to Rome to see this great artwork. You can see it from the comfort of your home. And this is this is the sort of thing I I love about the Internet is the getting access to things that we would never could have imagined getting access to even a few years ago. Um, pretty awesome. What do you think, Pat? Oh, I just, when I saw this, I just thought, yay, you know, uh, uh, the Vatican Library and the, you know, going to see all of those things that we did when we visited Rome and we could only do it in a hurry and just right then. Right. And now this opens it up. That That's part of the democratization of it is yes. that it opens it up to the world of people who cannot travel. Right. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to stand in the back of a crowd, <laughs> everyone gawking at, you know, the like with like the Louvre, the Mona Lisa way over there or, you know, Michelangelo's David or you no, know, you, can you can go. You can zoom in on it. You can close. walk right up to it without some, you know, Italian docent saying, hey, back up. Uh, good. Don't get so close. You know that. I mean, you really <laughs> take you can take all the pictures you want in the Sistine Chapel if it's a VR. You know, it's just I love this idea of being able to do these to see these things. Like I, I was saying years ago, like I can't wait till the Vatican Library, like the Codex Vaticanus, which is one of the uh, ancient manuscript ancient compiled books that make up the bible like it's so precious that only accredited scholars are allowed to even be in its presence so i mean it's that sort of thing photo- photograph it and then make it available to everybody exactly oh, anyone yeah. can go look at it you don't have to be an accredited you know uh, academic to to be able to see these things and so that's the things i love about this sort of thing and this is the promise of vr and so you know to we need to digitize all of this artwork and, and at the highest possible quality so that we can, everyone can experience it. 
I like the fact that they called it a holy NFT gallery. <laughs> holy NFT, Batman. Yeah, right. I mean, it was like, wow. Yeah. I, again, I'm not sure why NFT other than it's a buzzword, because it doesn't have to be a non-fungible token to be a digitized piece of artwork. Well, but. unless what they're doing is saying this is an NFT that you can copy it, but you don't own it. And therefore, maybe maybe some donations might be involved, you know, possibly. I, I suppose that's a possibility. Uh, it feels like a lot of buzzwords, but yeah. yeah. There was not a single bored ape in the uh, uh, yeah. art museum, so I don't know if they're NFTs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, here's another VR interesting thing is NASA ne- needs your help. That's right, your help building a VR Mars simulator. Uh, NASA has built – so here's the thing. they've It's called the NASA Mars XR Challenge. They've built a simulation of Mars using the Unreal Engine which is not just a game engine. That's really important to point that out. Unreal, the Unreal Engine is what they used to, or had used, I think, in seasons one and two of The Mandalorian to create that mm-hmm. the virtual sets that they used. I think um, Lucasfilm has developed their own engine by this point. Uh, but nevertheless, NASA has built this simulation of Mars, and now they need to populate it with stuff. And so what they're looking for, and so the, the simulation has... Full Martian days, day-night cycles, changing weather, Martian gravity, etc. What they need from us, from their crowdsourcing this, is uh, realistic assets and scenarios that one may encounter while stationed on the big red planet. So uh, habitats uh, or, you know, various... Uh, environmental things that could happen and, and, and as well as scenarios of things you can do, which I'm thinking someone's going to have to do the uh, Watney uh, yeah, say, uh, Martian. put in your 3D model of a uh, Matt Damon. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm going to build a uh, potato growing habitat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, it's called the Hero X Challenge. I think Well, it's, it's called the NASA Mars XR Challenge. But it's hosted on a site called Hero X, and and they so what they're looking for is people to contribute VR assets content. and content for this. So, uh, what do you think? Is this uh, something that? Uh, what do you think about like even being able to go in? And I, I don't know if it's if this is going to be the sort of thing where the public will be able to go to you know walk around in these Martian environments or not. But uh, what do you think of Mar- uh, uh, of NASA doing this sort of thing? I think it's I think it's a cool idea, and I like the idea of them reaching out to the community and making all the stuff available. It'll be interesting to see how reciprocal it is. Like, if you're going to make assets that really actually contribute to these kind of situations beyond just here's a well designed red rock you can put in your environment, like <laughs> right. they're going to have to feed data to the community. So if they're actually providing that data to people, that will be interesting to see. It's a little bit like the SETI at home kind of uh, yeah. project where they're democratizing this process. Um, I think it's cool. I I think they need to get a little bit further along in the process to have it really mean a lot because as it stands right now, it's basically just, hey, will you come populate our 3D environment so we don't have to build assets? But if they start providing <laughs> more data to the community as they get data from the various missions, that'll be cool to see. That would be good. 
And I would, as you say, I would really like to really be able to have that as something that could be uh, explored through VR headsets or through desktop computers, 3D, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. surround, whatever. I think that would be really cool. If they public domained it so you could have like a, a video game set on Mars with like supernatural we well, could we could yeah, you work there. us on mars in the mars <laughs> the mars gravity or like you could do uh um oh, what was the schwarzenegger total recall you know so uh and then uh, our last headline is uh it, it's a little bit of an older headline uh, but I, I just rediscovered it in what happens the state department u.s state department has started a new cyber bureau which uh, it's cyber it's like neil steve you would i mean it's neil was who is the one who did the cyberpunk neil stevenson was neil it neil stevenson yeah. yeah like it's not cyberpunk it, we've just decided <laughs> cyber is the word we're going to use for things i guess that are tech related but uh it's a this so the state department has launched a cyberspace and digital policy bureau which is interesting because you think about it like what is this bureau going to do you know the justice department will pursue you know hackers international hackers and that sort of thing the nsa is protecting us from like uh, nation state actors who are you know hacking and ransom wearing us so what are these guys doing well the the purpose of this bureau mainly is to be out in the international realm, you know, negotiating with other countries and with international bodies like the UN over policies and regulations, because a lot of the regulations and policies that govern how the Internet works are international. They're they're actually, you know, not U.S. regulations. They're U.N. agencies or other independent agencies even. Uh, so it, it's a good idea to have a part of the State Department that's dedicated to this. And in fact, the head of this new bureau is going to be an ambassador, a U.S. ambassador. They're going to have that that credential. So uh, I think that's kind of an interesting idea. What, what do you all think of? Uh, is it just bureaucracy or is it uh, think it's going to be effective? I think it's an interesting idea. Um, I think with a lot of things the government does with emerging technologies, they are usually at least five to ten years behind the curve. Um, yeah. I think it's difficult because the Internet by its very nature, is distributed. And so you're not going to know exactly where something is coming from. So how do you handle that under U.S. law? And that's the something that the Justice Department has had issues with for years. So right, it seems a little bit redundant, but maybe if they kind of can narrow down their vision more, then it'll be worth something. But I think it's going to have to, it's going to require cooperation from like multinational mm-hmm. uh, agencies before it really means anything. One of the things they mentioned that the first things they're going to have to deal with is setting the rules for international 5G, you know, the the use of 5G, including the problem of all of this 5G telecommunications equipment made by Huawei, a Chinese government run company, government owned, uh, where the uh, U.S. intelligence has pretty much said that they've it's riddled with uh, Chinese spyware Mm -hmm. so that they can intercept calls. So how does the international community deal with this fact and so uh this is one of the things that they're going to do is you know in the the international talks they're going to be involved in in that so i like the idea that that we're making uh tech policy you know tech 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 technology and communications policy a key aspect of 
Uh, of our foreign policy. So, uh, yeah, it's mm-hmm. kind of like building a framework that all uh, people could all each hook into, that each nation could hook into, as opposed to saying, here's the rules for everybody or here's our rules. It would be right. nice to have that framework to kind yeah. of tie them all together. Yep. Yep. Excellent. All right. So that's our headlines this week. Let us move on to our picks of the week. And Jack, I'm going to let you go first. What is your pick this week? My pick this week is a uh, iPhone or iPad screen protector from a company called uh, Paperlike. And basically what it is, is it's a screen protector that is completely matte and it is very textured. So it kind of replicates the feel of a, uh, like a high grain paper. And it's really nice for drawing on with the Apple pencil. Like if you use procreate or one of those different apps, um, I have it for my iPad pro, but they have it for all the different models of iPad, uh, from the mini to the standard size and then both sizes of pro. And it's a uh, 39 99 for, uh, every single size just across the board. And you get two screen protectors with each. And I really enjoyed it because it gives you that tactile feedback, like drawing on paper that you don't really get when you're drawing just on the glass screen itself. So right. I really enjoy it. I definitely recommend it. I, I, I'm not much of a, uh, artist, but I do write. I take notes on my iPad and that mm. is a big thing is the, even if you're just writing, having that, that, that friction, that, that slight drag on the pencil yeah. or pen is different. So I, this sounds like a great idea. I like the idea. Um, it's not too much 39 and plus it protects the screen, which I'm always exactly, yeah. getting leery, feeling leery of. <laughs> That's a lot of glass. I've broken my <laughs> iPad uh, screen before. It's not, not good. I just chipped mine. Oh, makes me, makes me feel bad. Excellent. Good pick. Uh, Pat, what is your pick this week? Well, uh, I've been kind of, of course, looking at VR and different things, but I happened to run across uh, an article after I was talking to somebody about doing virtual reality 3D puzzles. I ran across the Google Arts and Culture app again and found that, golly, you can do th- uh, jigsaw puzzles on there from uh, well-known artwork or science pictures or different things, and you can say, I want them easy, medium or difficult and you've got these jigsaws that on an ipad i had two grandkids today playing with the <laughs> ipad and and making putting together the jigsaw puzzles and you don't lose the pieces uh but more than that they had a whole lot of other things that were things like guess where this piece of artwork was and you and then you could you know try to pinpoint it on a map and it would show you you were within two kilometers or 8,000 kilometers of wherever this artwork really came from. And so they've got lots of games, lots of museum visits and things like that. I'd forgotten about it. Yes. And uh, it's it's all free, all really neat to explore. Yeah. One of the things I like is that there's a there's a selfie game in it where you can take a selfie of yourself and it will show you artwork that looks like your selfie. And oh, boy, yeah. that, that was fun. <laughs> if you have a distinctive look, that you, you'll come up with some fun stuff. So if you've got kids, especially, uh, you know, it looks like the, these kids were really enjoying seeing all the different things. And, and cool. Bella even mentioned, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've used it for this. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not. Ju- yeah. It's not just like you can tour museums and look at art, but there's all kinds of ways to interact with the art in it. That's, and some uh, of them were multiplayer, which oh, cool. surprised me. The hell on the jigsaw puzzle. You could do it solo or you could do it multiplayer with oh, somebody nice. else. Cool. I like that. So uh, my pick this week is a little piece of hardware. Um, so I, I mentioned before I, I got a Mac Studio, and 
people were, had been saying, oh, with the Mac Studio, it's got so many ports, you, you'll never use them all. I'm like, yeah, I still need a USB hub. <laughs> I have a lot of USB, uh, the old USB plugs and things that plug in cameras and, you know, uh, other stuff. And so I, I still need a USB hub and no USB hubs ever seem like enough. There's a seven port hub, barely a 10 port hub, maybe. So I went, I went full bore. I went out there and I found Sabrent has a 16 port USB three hub uh, that does both data and charging. And it, it's got its own power brick. It will send, it'll, it can do 90 Watts of power, which is decent. That's a pretty good amount of power, you know, split between all of the USB ports. And what's nice is each port has a switch. So you can turn them off as on, if you don't need them. So you're not sending power to un un uh, ports that aren't, don't need them. You know, but you don't used. have to keep unplugging them. Right, right. And you don't have to unplug your thing. You just turn it off. Uh, so it is 16 ports. And uh, I'm happy to say I have like eight ports free right now. So, <laughs> uh, but I'm sure I will be using more of them. And so it's a it's a it's a really it's a great little uh, USB hub. And it's uh, it, the price has gone up recently. I, I know I didn't pay 90 bucks for it, but that's what it's going for right now. Um, I, I thought I, I must have paid like 70 i think when i got it so um everything is more expensive these days inflation etc so uh but uh it for for if you if you need it if you need that many hub uh, ports in a hub you know you need it and this is the thing that you're gonna you're gonna you just have to go get something like it and just a comment i'm glad to hear it has a lot of power because i've got a lot of people who will buy a seven port hub and as they plug things in and out, right. all of a sudden the other ones start failing because mm. it's not enough and you have to have a powered hub. Yeah. And sometimes even that's not enough to really be uh, splitting the power between those. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say I need to spend uh, the time until I'm on the show next to find a USB extension that has even more ports just to one-up you on that. <laughs> <laughs> if you can find a 24-port hub, I might buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually I don't have 24 things to plug in, but I might just for that. Um, actually, I got my my label printer when I uh, first set up my Mac Studio. My label printer was messing with the whole USB bus. Yeah, they take more power, and yeah. I think that's must be what it was. I mean, it's powered on its own, but I wonder if I could plug it into this port. That now that I have this new USB hub whether that would solve that. Well, either nice. that or you plug it into one of the other ports and let this USB hub handle all the rest. Yeah, actually, the nice thing is, is that the my Rodecaster, which is my uh, my studio mixer, uh, I've got it connected via US, um, USB-C now, so uh, which is a higher speed thing, but it also frees up a port because that, it wants to be connected directly to the Mac Studio, which right. takes up one of the two USB-A ports ports so now it's USB-C. I have a, a free one of those so uh that's good to, that's good that's good awesome uh let's m move on so now that we've done all our picks of the week we could wrap things up we would love to hear what you think of our discussion and uh, you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the sqpn facebook page at facebook.com slash starquest media you can send an email to technology at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. 
And you'll find links from our discussion and our picks of the week in our show notes at sqpn.com. We would love for you to write a review of the show in Apple Podcasts. We haven't had one of those in a while. And those, those really do help us get the show out there. So if you can write a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you can write a review in one of the directories, share the podcast with your friends, help us grow this community and reach more listeners. We'd also like to thank James, who provides research assistance for our episodes. Until next time, Jack Barazzini, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Tom. Pat Scott, thank you as well. Thank you. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. <laughs>